Hello everyone, this is your host Dan Romagno, and you are listening to The Past Less Traveled, where we explore some of the most interesting places, persons, and events that you never knew you wanted to learn about. I'm very excited for this week's topic, so without further ado, let's explore. Some 600 years ago, citizens in the German city of Aachen started to pour out of their houses and into the streets where they began to writhe and whirl uncontrollably. This was the first major outbreak of the Dancing Plague or known in the medical world as choreomania. Some accounts tell of villagers dancing and jiving to the point of exhaustion, and in some cases, death. The dancing plague would go on to occasionally besiege towns across Europe throughout the 14th, 15th, and 16th century. This is a story of mass hysteria, fungal diseases, and the footloose town's worst nightmare. This is the story of the dancing plague. The year was 1374. In dozens of medieval towns scattered along the valley of the Rhine River, hundreds of people were seized by an agonizing compulsion to dance. Scarcely pausing to rest or eat, they danced for hours or even days in succession. They were victims of one of the strangest afflictions in Western history. Within weeks, the mania had engulfed large areas of northeastern France and the Netherlands and only after several months did the epidemic subside. In the following century, there were only a few isolated outbreaks of compulsive dancing. Then it reappeared explosively in the city of Strasbourg in 1518. Chronicles indicate that it then consumed about 400 men, women, and children, causing dozens of deaths. To this very day, experts aren't sure what caused the frenzy. According to the Black Death and the Dancing Mania, Originally published in 1888, Justice Frederick Carl Hecker imaginatively described the spectacle as follows. They formed circles hand in hand, and appearing to have lost all control over their senses, continued dancing, regardless of the bystanders, for hours together, in wild delirium, until at length they fell to the ground in a state of exhaustion. They then complained of extreme oppression, and groaned as if it the agonies of death, until they were swathed in cloths bound tightly around their waists, upon which they again recovered, and remained free from complaint until the next attack. This affliction spread to Liege, Utrecht, Tungris, and other towns in the Netherlands and Belgium, all along the Rhine River. During the Middle Ages, the papacy thought the dancers had been possessed by the devil, or perhaps cursed by a saint angered by lack of homage. Some scientists and historians believe the cause to be an induced altered state of consciousness. An important clue to the cause of these bizarre outbreaks lies in the fact that those partaking appear to have been in a dissociative trance, a condition involving an intense loss of self-control. It is hard to imagine people dancing for several days with bruised and bloodied feet except in an altered state of mind and consciousness. But there is historical evidence that they were not fully conscious. Onlookers spoke of the dancing maniacs of 1374 as wild, frenzied, and seeing visions. One noted that, while they danced, their minds were no longer clear, and another spoke of how the dancing maniacs went raging like beasts over the land. Now, you may be asking, what could cause a mass epidemic of dissociation? Ergert is the answer. 
Ergert is a fungal disease of rye and other cereals in which black, elongated, fruiting bodies grow in the ears of the cereal. Eating contaminated food can result in ergotism. Ergot could have induced hallucinations and convulsions in those who ate bread made from contaminated flour, but it is highly unlikely that ergotism would cause remorseless bouts of dancing among hundreds of people simultaneously. Of course, the popular belief for the cause of the most groovy epidemic at the time of the Middle Ages was demonic possession, or, at the very least, the dance derived from a sinister place. Modern anthropology and psychology also reveal how beliefs and expectations can shape the individual's experience of dissociation. In societies where people are encouraged to enter trance states as to make contact with the spirit world, they typically behave in ways prescribed by their cultures. We have every reason to think that the victims of the dancing plagues and possession epidemics were also acting in accordance with the immense theological pressure of their worlds. The thought that the dancing plagues were reliant on cultural belief systems is apparent from the fact that they were concentrated in just those communities where we know there to have been a pre-existing belief in the possibility of dancing curses being sent down from heaven or up from hell. In 1374, the dancers believed that Satan had unleashed an irresistible dance. Hence, they have not only danced interminably, but also begged for divine intercession, hurried to holy sites, and submitted gladly to exorcisms. The people of Strasbourg in 1518 were convinced that the saint called Vetus had unleashed a dancing curse. And so, having entered a state of possession, it seems that they acted according to the conventions of the St. Vetus myth, dancing for days on end. The dance turned into an epidemic, as it had in 1374, because each new victim lent further credibility to the belief of supernatural agency. Indeed, the Strasbourg epidemic exemplifies the awesome power of suggestion. Strasbourg city authorities thought it would be best to let the afflicted dance it off and get it out of their system. City authorities went on to provide designated dancing areas, further exasperating the mass hysteria. The more popular theory is that those afflicted by the dancing plague were stricken with a mass psychogenic illness. The years prior to the dancing epidemics were especially cruel. The 1374 outbreak took place in the regions most severely affected by one of the worst floods of the century. Chronicles tell of waters of the Rhine River rising some 34 feet, of flood waters pouring over town walls, of homes and marketplaces submerged, and of decomposing horses bobbing along watery streets. In the decade before the Dancing Plague of 1518, famine, sickness, and terrible cold caused widespread despair in Strasbourg and its surrounding villages. Bread prices reached their highest levels for a generation. Thousands of starving farmers and vine growers arrived at the city gates, and old killers like leprosy and the plague were joined by a terrifying new affliction named syphilis. These were intensely traumatic times. Nuns, for example, were protected from many of the indignities of daily life but nunneries could also become a toxic psychological environment. Even in well-managed communities, some nuns were inevitably unhappy. Sisters were often consigned to live lives 
of quiet contemplation in accordance with the wishes of their parents rather than any self-motivated piety. Once within the holy walls, it was very hard for them to get out, but those who readily embraced the spiritual life were often the most desperate. Tormented by a feeling of falling short of the expectations and standards of holiness imposed by their orders, Pliny reflected with terrible fear on the fiery destiny awaiting those impure in mind or deed. A notable example is that of Jean d'Agnes, mother superior of the Loudon nunnery in southern France, who became infatuated with a local priest, Father Grandier, in the year 1627. When I did not see him, she later confessed, I burned with desire for him. In consequence, Jean felt overwhelmingly worthless and guilty. After weeks of painful penance and introspection, she fell into a dissociative state during which she repeatedly accused Father Grandier of plotting with Satan to make her lust after him. Within days, several more nuns had followed suit, all deliriously pointing the finger at the hapless priest. After an investigation by the Inquisition, Grandier was burned alive. Ultimately, the cause of Choreomania remains a mystery, but it will never cease to be a fascinating part of European history. Thank you all for tuning in and your continuous support. I'm a little over the 100 downloads mark, so if you could all like, follow, and share this podcast and episode, it would be greatly appreciated. I also decided on doing two episodes a week now, time permitting. Again, thank you for listening, and remember, we are all trapped in history, and history is trapped in all of us.